This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stribling. Welcome to another edition of At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the state of Mississippi and how these issues impact you. Lawmakers in the House and Senate are wrangling over a bill to phase out the state's income tax. On Tuesday, which was a deadline day, the Senate decided not to vote on the Mississippi Tax Freedom Act, allowing it to die in committee. House Bill 1439, championed by Speaker Philip Gunn, would have done away with the state's income tax over a 10-year period, lessened the sales tax on groceries, and increased the sales tax on most retail items by 2.5 cents per dollar. After the Senate move, Speaker Gunn expressed his frustration. The elimination of income tax is a good thing for the people of the state of Mississippi. I can't imagine anybody would argue with that premise. Putting more money back into the pockets of our citizens, more disposable income, that they can then go and feed their families and support themselves, is a good thing. So we need to be looking for ways to make that happen, not trying to throw up roadblocks to prevent that from happening. I'm disappointed today that the Senate chose not to take up the bill. I clearly wanted to continue the discussions, clearly wanted to continue finding ways to address whatever concerns or objections that might have existed. Um, and so we're going to, this is the number one issue for the House. We made this a House position uh, a month ago when we voted on it. It was a strong vote. And we're going to continue to, to fight the fight and find ways to try to make it happen. And sure enough, they did. Hours later, the House voted to insert the tax bill language as an amendment into a bond bill, but with a few changes. Here's Republican Representative Trey Lamar of Senatobia on the House floor. Unfortunately, the Senate for now has punted the ball on the singular most impactful legislation before us this year. It is time for bold action. It is time to continue to fight. And so the House will continue to push forward with what I believe is the most transformative tax policy that this state has seen in generations, with the potential to significantly grow our economy, create new jobs, and lift thousands, lift thousands of Mississippians out of generational po uh, poverty. Great opportunity is before us, and we must not waste this opportunity. The time to act is now. And so therefore, ladies and gentlemen, the tax bill is alive yet again with this amendment. Lamar says his amendment removes the measure's two and a half cent increase on farming, logging and manufacturing equipment. As a result, the amounts of the first round of income tax cuts would drop and the total phase out of income taxes could take a couple of years longer. The House passed the amendment. The bill is now before the Senate. Senate Finance Chair Josh Harkins of Flowood said the House move does not change the fact that lawmakers are in what is scheduled to be their final weeks of the 2021 legislative session. He says there's not 
not enough time to fully evaluate the nearly $2 billion issue. Senator Harkins is instead calling for a study committee to examine the tax plan over the summer and make recommendations for next year. What they have sent us is a, is a pretty wide and, and broad piece of legislation that touches a lot of different industries, it touches a lot of different uh, issues, and all the while it's, it's effort to eliminate the income tax. So what we got the bill two weeks ago, uh, we tried to do some, some research and tried to figure out what the impact on the economy is going to be, what the impact for the state's going to be, because there's parts of the bill that trigger other issues uh, as it relates to the, the inventory tax is a tax that people pay at the county, but they take as an income tax credit. Well, if there's no income tax, then that means they're going to be paying the inventory tax again uh, on their business. Uh, the Advantage Jobs uh, bill that was out there to attract uh, companies to locate in Mississippi is where a company will get a uh, income tax rebate on the new on the employees they hire. So if they're going to bring you know 2,000 jobs in here, they're going to get a percentage of the income taxes those new employees pay as an incentive. Well, if there's no income tax, how are we going to you know uh, maintain the, the promise that we made uh, to attract them in the first place? So it, it's it's a matter of making sure that we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's and making sure that we look at everything uh, in total. And it, it does, it's not just a matter of moving the income tax down and the sales tax up. It's, there are other issues that are affected. And so we want to make sure that whatever we do is prudent and responsible, but it, it also puts Mississippi in the best posture to be, uh, to be competitive with our neighboring states, to be um, prosperous, but at, at the heart of it, to be responsible about how we implement this. Because it, it's, there's a lot of moving parts and you know, you really get one crack at this to do it right. And we want to make sure we're doing it right. Another issue drawing tension from both chambers is how to operate the state's division of Medicaid. The House and the Senate have killed the other chamber's bill to reauthorize the agency beyond June 30th of this year. At that point in the legislature, at this point in the legislative session, there aren't any bills alive to continue the program that provides health care to more than 750,000 low income Mississippians. Republican Representative Joey Hood of Ackerman chairs the Medicaid committee. He talks with at issue producer Ashley Norwood about the House version of the bill. We had four days worth of hearings and during those four days we heard from a bunch of providers and the number one thing we heard was credentialing and not having Medicaid payments, managed care providers not making the payments and the 5% set aside. And what we did is we inserted language that have universal credentialing. You have three managed care companies. And so what that would do was allow them to have one source to get credentialed. And also we have language in there. If they don't deny a payment within 60 days, it's deemed paid in full. And so we just didn't want payments being held in limbo. And also the 5% set aside. Some industries had had 5% was being withheld from their reimbursement. And some other industries had gotten exemptions. And so what we did is we just did away with that. So everybody would continue to get the 5%. So it's still in the Senate, and we're waiting on the Senate to move yes, on Yes, the Senate has to concur with the changes that we made. If the Senate does not concur with the changes we made, then they kill the Medicaid tech bill. Do you think they'll concur with the changes well, you made? Well, I hope they do. Uh, I think the health care of all Mississippians is at stake if they don't. Was there something about uh, the language the Senate provided that concerned you that you wanted to make sure was removed before you sent it Well, I, we have 122 House members, and I've been working with them throughout the process. And so we have some th issues in our bill that are very important to us. And, and some of that was the credentialing, the, the, the denial payments, the appeal process, and other things of that nature. 
that we wanted to see brought forward. And, and historically, the tech bill has always gone to conference, and so I feel like we'll get together with the Senate and work out a compromise. The changes made in the Senate version of the Medicaid bill would include extending postpartum coverage to 12 months instead of the current 60 days. Democratic Senator Hob Bryan of Amory chairs the Public Health and Welfare Committee. He criticized language in the House version that calls for a commission to govern the division of Medicaid. Currently, the governor appoints an executive director who must win Senate confirmation. However, Bryan says it's not unusual for Medicaid reauthorization bills to get caught up. What's really going on is the House is mad at the Senate and the Senate is mad at the House. So to let each other know that we're mad, we've killed each other's bills. And so the bills are dead under the deadline rules. But what's taking place now is a resolution's working its way through the Senate to suspend those bills from the deadline rules, which will bring them back to life. So it will be procedurally possible for the Senate to have a Medicaid technical amendments bill. I know that the House wishes to establish a Medicaid commission instead of having Medicaid under the direction of the governor. Uh, I, I do not think that's a good idea. Um, and I, Why do you say that? I think it's fine for the governor to have control of the division of Medicaid. I don't see what we would gain by having a commission. Killing each other's bills was just to, something that we do when things get fractious. My grandmother Morgan used to tell me that some people were fractious. And this time of year, the legislature gets fractious and we, the houses get mad at each other, which is, that's okay. It's, it's frustrating, but that's the way it works. And the good news is it appears that the legislature is doing something sensible, which is reviving the bill. They can go to conference and talk about their differences, which is how the process works. And Brian says if the legislature cannot decide on a bill, the division of Medicaid could wind up in the hands of the governor via executive order. One thing on which the House and Senate did concur this week was teacher pay legislation. It passed the House 119 to 2. Governor Tate Reeves is expected to sign it. The House Bill 852 would give most teachers a $1,000 raise in pay. Newer teachers would get $1,100. Here's House Education Chair Richard Bennett on the House floor. I'm going to ask you today to concur with the Senate's uh, bill. They changed it a little bit. I'm a little disappointed. They lowered the, the threshold for teacher aides, which was disappointing. But I think we need to go ahead and move this and concur. I'll tell this body right now that we're, we're working hard. We're trying to do something for incentives for teachers. So it is a possibility that we will come back or come back to you and ask for unanimous consent to uh, suspend the rules. But again, we're trying to weigh the balance of what the taxpayer can handle and, um, and what we can do for the teachers. So we may be coming back to you before this session is over to ask for a suspension to do a little more, a little something here. Again, we've been working hard on it, but we will bring it to you. But right now, I'd like to go ahead and ask you to concur of giving the teachers a $1,000 pay raise and giving the teacher's age a $1,000 pay raise. And uh, hopefully we can come back with a, a little more uh, uh, incentive-type package. But again, I ask for concurrence.
A federal grand jury has indicted a Mississippi businesswoman and her son on fraud and money laundering charges. The indictments unsealed yesterday accused Nancy New and Zachary New of embezzling more than $2 million from the state of Mississippi through the Department of Education. The news operated New Summit School in Jackson. Both pleaded not guilty to the charges, which could result in sentences of up to 210 years in prison. MP's De MPB's Desiree Frazier talks about the indictments with Mississippi College School of Law professor Matt Steffi. This indictment alleges that the defendants um, made teachers out of thin air, made teachers out of non-teacher employees, made teachers out of former teachers um, in order to receive reimbursement from or receive payment from the state, made up students that didn't exist uh, or created current students out of students that had left in order to receive payment from the state, conspired to do so, and then pulled that money out through routing it through some accounts for their personal gain, uh, thereby uh, uh, committing money laundering. Uh, the charges, if, uh, I don't know what the sentencing guidelines say, but uh, the, mag the upper limit of these charges would keep both these defendants in prison the rest of their lives. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a likely outcome by any means, but it, it shows the gravity of the charges where most of them carry up to 20 years in prison, carry fines up to a quarter of a million dollars. The uh, prosecution is also seeking restitution and forfeiture of assets to try to recoup the money. I mean, this is as it's a scam in, in common terms. It's a scam school um, that, the, that, that the defendants caused the state to pay for teachers that didn't exist and that students didn't exist for the basis of all for the basis of all motives and that simple greed. Uh, well, it's interesting because I have been over to the New Summit School and had interviewed parents. Um, it's been uh, some years ago. Um, I can't remember exactly how many, but maybe um, four years. And parents swore by the school and what it was doing to help their children who had special needs. Um, and that's an aspect of this that plays both ways. If this is taking advantage of a, a school and, and, and funds set aside for special needs kids to enrich oneself, there's a, a special kind of moral callousness to it. Um, and it may be that more than one thing is true. It may be that there are students who are being well served by the school while these defendants are also using it to enrich themselves. The indictments say the mother and son fraudulently, fraudulently obtained the money between 2017 and 2020. The state auditor released a statement saying this case is another step toward justice for taxpayers. One of Zachary News attorneys said outside the courtroom, I'm not even sure there's a crime here. Nancy News attorney said her client is looking forward to the trial, which is scheduled for May 3rd. Cars have been lining up outside a drive-through COVID-19 vaccination site in Jackson. Earlier this week, Governor Tate Reeves announced the expansion of COVID-19 vaccine availability to all residents age 16 and up. 
Mississippi became the second state in the nation to open up eligibility to so many people. According to the Centers for Disease Control, 21% of Mississippians have received their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. 12% of the state's population is now fully vaccinated. A poll from Millsaps College and Chisholm Strategies indicates Mississippians are now generally more open to getting a COVID-19 vaccine than they were in early January. The poll released Wednesday found 63% of those polled said they will definitely get vaccinated against COVID-19. Today, the Mississippi Department of Health is reporting 392 new cases of the coronavirus and seven additional deaths. That brings the totals in Mississippi to more than 300,000 cases and nearly 7,000 deaths since March of 2020. So let's get straight to the point now with views from both sides of the aisle. Brandon Jones is an attorney and former Democratic member of the House. Filling in for Austin Barber this week is Lucian Smith, former chair of the Mississippi Republican Party. Lucian, good to have you with us this week. Great to be here. Brandon, welcome back as always. Uh, let's start with this uh, tax bill. Uh, it, it was dead. It's now alive again in, in a bond bill now that it's been inserted into. This was the speaker's uh, pet project. Lucian, what's going on here? Look, this is clearly a major priority of Philip Gunn's, um, and I commend him for taking some real leadership on it because it's easy to talk about uh, doing something this transformational, but you've actually got to spend the time to come up with a way to do it. Uh, and the Speaker has done that with Trey Lamar and, and Jason White and the rest of the House leadership, uh, and I commend him for it. Now, it's a massive change. Uh, obviously, you've got some resistance in the Senate to the, f the way in which it's done, but my sense is uh, you've got near unanimity among Republicans that we're going to cut the income tax. It's just a question of, are we going to eliminate the income tax in 2021, or is it something we're going to continue to work on uh, over the course of the next year? You know, the governor in his EBR last year's executive budget uh, called for this, uh, and so I, I think you're going to see us eliminate the income tax in Mississippi. Uh, it's just a question of exactly how we do it and when. Yeah, Lucian, this thing has grown from kind of a legislative curiosity. Let's have a discussion to the issue that has kind of brought other issues to a halt in that chamber. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I, I don't I don't like the proposal for several reasons. I, I think senior adults in particular say this is not a tax cut for us. I mean, we're not even in the income tax bracket. And if you raise our taxes elsewhere through sales tax increases, this is a real problem. And you have a lot of industries who say that this is going to limit their ability to attract business and grow their business. So, you know, there's a whole lot of issues that are here. I'm curious to see how they, they've played brinksmanship, to your point. They, they've, they've kind of pushed it into other proposals. Now it's in the bond bill, that holiest of holy bills moving through the process because everybody in that chamber has a claim, has a stake in that bond bill. Those represent projects for communities. Those represent projects for municipalities. So I wonder what's next. I mean, it's, it's clearly a priority. I don't think we can say it was just a conversation starter anymore. I think it's something that the House has shown they're willing to kill things over. Well, intention's high enough right now. I mean, it's entirely plausible you could see lots of totally unrelated bills end up getting killed in the fight uh, over this income tax bill. So I think the next uh, 10 days as we go through conference weekend this weekend and through next week is going to be very interesting to watch uh, how the two sides, to your point about it being a bit of brinksmanship, exactly how they uh, react on the income tax bill and what the consequences are. 
We'll continue to keep an eye on that one. Let's talk about the news. Zachary and Nancy knew this morning, uh, we, or yesterday, we got word of these new indictments related to the Department of Education. We talked about them last year in relation to uh, the Department of Human Services and TANF funds, and there's actually new legislation regarding TANF. Well, tell us about that, Brandon. Yeah, Senate Bill 2759. That was authored by Senator Joey Fillingain from Pine Belt area. Uh, and, and what this bill does is allows the state to increase its TANF benefits on a monthly basis by $90 without drawing down any additional money from state taxpayers. So it, it's a, it, it doesn't cost the state a dime, but it increases benefits in TANF. And, and if you ask me, Wilson, this is long overdue. If, if you'll recall, last year when this issue first came to the fore, the first thing that the legislature did was to make it harder on service recipients. And so this would be the, akin to a bank increasing charges on checking account holders after they've been held up by bank robbers. So they made it harder on the recipients. Now here we are a year later and we're doing something to actually help Mississippi's poor. And as we say on this show a lot, Mississippi is by any objective standard a very poor state. And so how we handle benefits to families that need them most, benefits to families that are trying to enter the working class or transition to a higher level, it's so important that we get these programs right. This is morally right, it's economically right, and it passed over there, I give a ton of credit to Joey Fillingain, I give a ton of credit to the Republicans in the House, that, that passed this thing along, and it's sitting on the governor's desk, hopefully to be signed very soon. Brandon's excited about something the Republicans have done. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me a little concerned about what the Republicans have done. I mean, I, 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 Joey Fillingain is one of the most conservative members of the legislature. I've got a lot of faith that if Joey is doing it, that it probably uh, is a well-thought-out conservative position. I've got real concerns about the amount of money that the federal government spends, the amount of money that we borrow to fund what the federal government spends. I think it's a, a national security uh, and economic risk, a huge one to the country. But my sense is the same as Brandon's. I think they have looked at ways without costing taxpayers additional state tax dollars how to draw more money into the economy. I'm not sure that's how you uh, move people up to the middle class or how you grow our economy, but I, I certainly think there is a logic to going out and getting money that doesn't cost state taxpayer dollars and bring it into the state of Mississippi instead of having to go in somewhere else. And I assume uh, that's the logic behind it, even though the, the federal piece of it concerns me. Obviously, the Medicare, go ahead, Brandon, I'm sorry. Well, well there's, there's a certain tone that goes off whenever the White House changes ownership. And when Democrats take over in, the, in, the, in Washington, Republicans immediately, like Lucian, start to get really upset about federal spending. You notice we didn't hear about federal spending for, for the previous four years, but now it's back to the four. But, you know, the good thing about this bill is this money is already allocated. This money has been coming here. And I, and I think what the new director of the Department of Human Services is saying is we have been leaving this money. We have been we've been rolling this money over we've been not utilizing it and what a what a wasteful thing that is in a state that has so many poor people and so it, it really I think Lucian as, as people look at it they'll see the math does check out and this was the right thing for us to do well I will agree with you on one point a little off the topic of TANF but I think you're absolutely right I think Republicans have failed when a Republican is in the White House to check the runaway spending that ultimately is going to be something that has the potential of destroying our country. I think it's a failure uh, by uh, Republican elected officials, and I hope that we'll be uh, good stewards of federal money under uh, President Biden. And four years from now, when we have a good Republican uh, president, I hope we'll hold, take uh, him or her to task and make sure they're good fiscal conservatives.
We'll see. Uh, let's talk about another program that uh, benefits a lot of low-income Mississippians, the Division of Medicaid. Uh, Senator Bryan there talking about this is a, a matter of the two chambers being angry at each other. Uh, but but Medicaid's at stake here. What, what, what's going on with that? I, I don't agree with uh, Hob Bryan on much, but this is one where I think he's absolutely right. The two chambers aren't happy with each other. They're disagreeing. Uh, and so they're letting some, the Medicaid tech bill uh, die. But the only thing that the one thing that you can guarantee is the only thing the legislature wants less than the other chamber winning on a policy point is the governor winning on a policy point. And so if the Medicaid tech bill fails, the governor then gets to run Medicaid without input from the legislature. Uh, and, and I'll bet you a steak dinner that will not end up happening in the end. They'll resurrect it with a, a, a suspension resolution and you'll see the legislature maintain its control over how the Medicaid program is run here. And I'm sure the legislature would love to litigate just how much control the governor has. Yeah, they don't want to go there. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big issue that is also in the for Medicaid with the passage of the Recovery Act. Uh, and this this is an incentive for states like Mississippi to expand Medicaid. Uh, what it's done is reset the clock so that states like Mississippi who didn't expand could get the same benefit as if they had expanded back in 2010 when the program initially passed. Man, Lucian, I've said it on this show many, many times. I don't know if there's any single policy mover that could change the state of Mississippi economically like the expansion of Medicaid. It's had enormous benefit in Republican states and Democratic states. And, and it's here again whether legislative leadership wants to acknowledge that or not, I think we're going to hear more about expansion of Medicaid in the coming months. I think you're absolutely going to continue to hear discussion about the expansion of Medicaid. I think the problem is, even with the enhanced federal match, that's a huge subsidy and gets into the problem we were talking about before about federal spending, the state ultimately has to come up with some match. I believe it's 10 percent of the total program cost. Looking at the, the last time I looked deep into the numbers, that was about $100 million a year the state had to come up with. And that's you know, $100 million that we're not spending on roads, $100 million we're not spending on teachers, $100 million that uh, we're not spending on other core functions of government. Uh, and we, it's got to come from somewhere. And so I, that is the problem to me is I don't think the state can afford the state match even with uh, the additional subsidy. But it's certainly going to be a, a discussion point that's going to keep on getting made. With the expansion of the guidelines for who can get a COVID-19 vaccine, finally, everybody at this table uh, is registered to get a vaccination or has already gotten one. Uh, Brandon, you think the state's done a pretty good job of uh, we're at 12 percent now of the state's population fully vaccinated. You're pleased with how Mississippians, uh, Mississippi has uh, leadership has done with this issue. Yeah, and, and Dr. Dobbs reported that 38 percent of recent vaccines have gone to people of color in Mississippi. And so that's consistent with the percentage overall of the state's population. And so that means that we are getting the vaccine into communities across the state. And I can tell you, you know, when it was opened up to folks like us, you know, everybody 16 and older, had a chance to look on the Department of Health's website and you can see where these shots are being offered. And I, I was just very glad to see it's not just major metro areas. It's not just, you know, the places that we think of as big towns by Mississippi standards, it's smaller communities. And so, yeah, to your question, I think so. I, I think it's a legislative challenge. We're seeing other states that are not moving as quickly as our government is to expand it. So I'm glad that we're expanding it. I'm glad we're meeting the challenge. Look, I, I think the governor and Dr. Dobbs deserve just huge commendation for how they've done this. I, I think uh, they've done a great job about it. And one of the things that, to their credit, they've done is they've not played politics with it. I think you look at states like California, uh, you look at some of the administration of this in Chicago, they've made these very politically calculated decisions on how they administered it, I think, to, to cater to their base. 
And the result is shots aren't going out. You're starting to see California build up supply. And in Mississippi, by doing it smartly, by uh, having a, a number of vaccination, vaccination, vaccination sites, having them in multiple locations, you're actually getting uh, people vaccinated, to Brandon's point, in proportion to the racial demographics in the state. But you're doing it in a smart way that's getting a lot of people vaccinated. And that's what we need in the state. And that's what we need in the country. We'll leave it there. Lucian, thank you for being with us this Great week. Brandon, good to see you as always. We are out of time. Don't forget, you can watch this program online or listen to the podcast at mpbonline.org. For day-to-day -day coverage, follow MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for joining us on At Issue. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.